the, um, the complications of Zoom. Thank you, thank you. Um, okay, well, I'll start again. Um, so yeah, China is a very big place and very complex and complicated and deep and rich and old and um, and beautiful. Um, and so I, I wanna start out with my last day um, because I was concerned with my experience because it was so vibrant and so nourishing and so eye-opening. And I was like, am I having, am I seeing with uh, blinders on? Am I missing the forest for the trees? I, I, I was doubting myself. So, and, and, you know, I, I started out that way because when I first got there, there were dozens of visitors from around the world. So I started by asking them, what is your experience of China? And um, every single one of them, you know, the first thing was I've been lied to, um, that the experience of China and what they had been told about China didn't relate to each other. And these are from uh, many countries in Africa, Ghana, Zambia, South Africa, um, uh, uh, Tunisia, Morocco, um, Brazil, Argentina. Um, so, you know, for them, it was even more profound than for me um, because I come from the US. But, you know, for a poor organizer, in the in the outskirts of Zambia to experience um, uh, what it's what it's like to um, witness um, because they went to um, different places where people had been pulled out of poverty for someone like that to witness um, uh, what that is like, what what is possible when they live somewhere where that just feels impossible. And um, there was this one woman um, who was going around with her um, her iPhone filming for eight hours a day for her eight year old daughter oh. to have hope. Um, also, I'm just wondering if we could mute. So there's no background noise. Thanks so much. <laughs> um, so it, it started out seeing it through these visitors' eyes um, and, and their just open-eyed uh, wonder at possibility, um, which is why I, I wanted to go to a place where it had been very impoverished and the uh, work to get people out of poverty um, had um, had 10 years, so I could kind of experience that. But the last day um, in Shanghai, in uh, what used the old French Quarter, which is a, a lot where um, a, a ton of Westerners live um, and have lived for a long time, I uh, I walked through the streets of uh, for five hours of Shenzhen Di, which is I don't know, 
Madison Avenue, I, I guess I would compare it to <laughs> um, in the in New York. Um, so it's upscale. And I asked the Westerners why they were there. And um, and then after they said, oh, I'm just here for a big holiday or I live here, asking them why they stayed. And every single one of them said quality of life and safety. Um, so from the beginning to the end to like, be there until the very end and really be in a space of the quality of life that is a commitment not like but it's it's a commitment like of everyone it's not like one person's task and i think as i learned while i was there where does this come from so there's a three thousand year history that if you look at it, has a commitment to life, has a commitment to beauty, has a commitment to stability. And um, even if you look at Confucianism, what that is, is about stability. Um, and you can feel it. And it's baked into the culture. It's baked into the DNA. And I look at that like after dissecting um, our work as peace activists and coming up with that war economy, peace economy analogy and recognizing that we live in a war economy culture and what that does to us. It was really refreshingly being in a peace economy culture and what that does to people. And so um, in the beginning, just skimming off the top, being in, in Shanghai and taking my son for a walk. Um, his own experience of what it feels to be in a place where you feel safe, where there is no menace, where he can leave his iPhone somewhere and go back a half an hour later and is still sitting there. Um, my husband left his backpack somewhere, went back a half an hour later, it was still sitting there. Um, no anxiety going back to pick it up. Um, I think also just the um, attention to beauty um, <laughs> where things work. Um, but I think it's interesting, KJ, like where things work, but why, but I wanted to get to the why, why is this like this? Um, because it's not, there's no separation of who's responsible for it. Everyone is responsible for it. There's no othering around it. It's everyone. Um, and it's, um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's hard to describe like what it's like to walk in a city for five hours and run into like 17 gardens with manicured and, and lawns and ponds and, um, and every single one of them has like a cultural gathering of some sort happening in it. Uh, I understood from my friend that like there's like a lot of matchmaking that was happening in this one and then in the afternoon the women are dancing and tons of different people show up and dance with the women and in the morning it's Tai Chi and then the men come with their bird cages and and um, you know trade birds and there's the game playing um, and then there's the exercising there's like exercise things everywhere where they come in the park and there's things to serve the exercising there's um, so you're you're in beauty, but you're in culture and community, 
all lay, layered on, on each other. Um, and I went to very, very different neighborhoods. And I would say out of my neighborhood, it even gets more intense as you get further out into the, um, the different neighborhoods. So, um, so the first experience I want you to have is just this generosity, um, uh, joy. Uh, I, I was in like tons of airports because I was flying between Shanghai and Beijing and Sanya and Dali and then back to, to Shanghai. And then I, I just was in the LAX for an hour and a half yesterday flying up north. And I can tell you the difference is palpable. First of all, the color. First of all, the dress. That there's a there's a sense of feeling that somebody got up happy and wanted to share that happiness. There's tons of color and flow and life. And and the in the LAX airport, it was browns and blacks and grays and and tans and everybody was sitting down on their phone. When you're in a, a, a Chinese airport, it's a yuck, 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 yuck. And lots of like little communities talking to each other, sharing. There's, it was like literally the difference of culture was palpable. So I kind of want to start there of um, not just myself, but the friends that were visiting and, and, and my own son who's um, you know, uh, not, not generous, not too generous with, uh, uh, he, he's very critical as an artist, um, really recognizing there's a different culture. So starting with that, we in the West try to impose ourselves on another culture and decide what's good, even though that those, the number of people is uh, five times larger and the culture is um, I mean, it's 3,000 years old compared to 300 years old. So just to witness that for a start. Um, also, while I was there, um, the, the woman from Zambia um, ha was there and, and Kamala Harris had just gone to Zambia. And um, she was uh, telling a story about how Kamala Harris had gone to Zambia. She landed on a Chinese-built runway in a Chinese-built airport. Drove the, her car drove on a Chinese-built freeway to the center where she presented and suggested to all the Zambians that they needed to separate themselves from China. But the conference center that they were in was a gift to Zambia from China, not paid for anything, just a gift which had a little tiny plaque on the outside that said a gift to the people of Zambia from China. Um, noting that when the US gives anything, it's a press release, it's three days of ribbon cuttings and lots of media attention. Um, so it was all, she was also describing the different relationship from, um, uh, from being, you know, from a Westerner coming to Zambia and lecturing instead of gifting. Um, so, then there's the different, then it's like, besides saying that it's a huge country and everything is different, every community, um, even being in Shanghai and Beijing to feel going from one to the next. Um, one very clearly still a bicycle city. Beijing is still a bicycle city. There's bicycle lanes, there's bicycles you can pick up anywhere, just pick up the bicycle and ride. Um, my son picked up bicycles and rode all over the city. Um, and in Shanghai, it's the electric motorbike. 
So um, also, I just want to say the air quality while I was there ranged somewhere between 26 excellent to 43 good. Um, so that just as everybody says, oh, but isn't it bad air quality? I just want to describe the air quality was um, was excellent, very good. Um, and and all except when I was in Dali, it was like excellent, 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 um, which is up in the mountains. Um, and the thing that really struck me in Beijing was there in Shanghai, there's that moving between park, like every few every few streets you're um, in a park. Uh, also, the commitment is every 800 meters, there's a metro station so that nobody has to walk that far and that the metro's interconnectivity of the, the subway system is that you don't have to walk more than 800 meters to get into your subway system that interconnects with your longest walk would be 800 meters to work or to wherever you're going. So both the electric uh, scooters and the metro system have been the commitment to take cars off the road. Um, and that's been very effective and very quick. Um, in, in Beijing, um, it's it's the, the boulevards are bigger. It's, you know, I call it the Washington DC compared to the New York City. Um, it's where I learned that the, um, there's a commitment of, that's been around for about 10 years called um, Clean Waters Lush Mountains. And it is that, it's that commitment to this beauty. So every highway, every road, every um, major thoroughfare that you were on had roses, like more roses than I have ever seen on the highway. So you're on, you're on a major thoroughfare, but there's, a wall of roses to the side or going down the middle. There is that it's like there's something um, real that happens like almost physically to be delighted in this way in a in a busy city, um, a very busy city. I think the the definitely the traffic in Beijing is worse than the traffic in Shanghai. One of the places, the first place that we went was um, a museum that um, it's a, a story of the wars, um, mostly the, it's basically a story of the war, um, the Japan war on China. And it's devastating. And I knew so little. And to go, it's, it's profound to go through and witness what, um, when you know the Chinese humiliation, like when you, when you hear those words, what I hear those words a lot, but to go through and what it looked like and what it was and how much it cost. And um, they're, they don't call World War II, World War II, they call it the war to end fascism. So it was both the Japan war on China and the war to end fascism that were on display. And to see the profound courage, resilience, um, commitment uh, to China of the people that you see there and also the prices that were paid and how extreme they were. And um, the rape of Nanjing is unbearable, um, even, um, it's unbearable. 
um, to witness. Um, it reminded me of going to Germany um, and going to some of the Holocaust sites. It's, but it's a site that we're not, we don't see and our um, uh, empathy has not been engaged around that, you know, or the 20 million Chinese lost um, and the war to end fascism as they call it. So um, then it was off from Beijing to Sanya, which is the on the island south of China, the same latitude as Jamaica. My husband's Jamaica, so it's kind of his second home there. And um, there is a huge Uyghur community on the island because a lot of um, northern China, um, a lot of the communities in northern China were moved down to Sanya because it was too cold. It was part of poverty alleviation because there wasn't ways to really support and bringing them to a warmer clim climate. And Sanya, um, which is a uh, one of the environmental um, restoration zones that China's committed to. So um, they have their own community there. Um, their own mosques, um, and yet on the in the community of Sanya, where there's big, like in every city, big community spaces. At night, you get to come and and watch their dancing, um, and that is interwoven with some of the other the Han communities dancing and some of the other um, minority Chinese groups that do their dancing. So there's this also interconnecting of cultural sharing that happens um, in this community space in Sanya. Um, uh, Hainan, H-A-I-N-A-N, uh, I think is the name of the island. Hainan there, thank you, Anlen. Um, uh, Hainan is three times the size of Jamaica and three times the population. So it's the same population density and the same kind of mountain rangy, um, you know, very, uh, um, agricultural and super old communities. Um, the Red Brigade of Women comes from uh, Hainan. It was one of the up, really early uprisings against of the peasants against the landowners, and they were all women. And uh, four years ago, I was able to meet one of them who was 100 years old, um, she since died, uh, who had been those that had risen up against the, the landowners in Sonia, it's about a couple hours north of Sanya. Uh, the village still exists, um, but uh, it was um, women's uh, peasants that had been really badly abused raising up. So it has also a really beautiful history. Um, so there it's, I call it Miami Beach um, because it's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful waters. But I think one of the things I, I learned there this time is um, there's what you see in Sanya, but there's just like community. It's kind of like going to the weird community. There's tons of communities that have taken over like up the beaches where the airport isn't and created communities and cultures and vibrancy and, um, so there's a little bit of, of everything on the island and it's it's committed 
to creating um, how do how do we live together? Um, everyone there also has been taken out of poverty, um, and there's still some uh, inside of the. You can go and see inside of the jungles what that did look like and what it looks like now because they haven't totally destroyed what was before. You can visit structures and living conditions um, before the raising out of poverty. And um, there's a, a certain, um, in, the, in the way I was saying, the beauty isn't coming, it's coming co-created. There's this sense of co-creation that I, I was witnessing in uh, Shanghai and in Sanya, but that really uh, expressed itself to me the best in Dali. And that's where I want to take you all. <laughs> um, first of all, I just think everybody needs to go to China because it, I'm trying to tell you, but it's like a picture. It doesn't, I can't tell you because it's a feeling. It is a visceral experience that's quite profound. Um, so Dolly, I wanted to go where a community had been raised out of poverty. This is um, uh, a community that is, it starts at around 7,000 feet high. It's thousands of years old. The old cities that we went to were 1,200 years old. Um, it, uh, it's an agricultural community um, for you know millennia. It um, it had really been taken to the edge of destruction. So the the big lake there was toxic. People were dying from drinking out of it. That there had been no controls. Agriculture was dumping in it. Everything was dumping in it. Uh, you know, Western tourism was coming to climb on the mountains. It, there was no concern um, in the way that I said. There's all this concern that made the beauty. So there was a commitment 10 or 12 years ago that this had to change. And um, it meant, so around the lake, there were the wealthy farmers and they owned the whole area around the lake and they were just polluting it. And so you had to stop the pollution and you had to learn what could clean the water. So around the lake is um, you know, a, a global study on how do you clean these waters? And it's done, uh, through bioremediation of the plants that are planted and they're planted beautifully. So one day we rode for 25 miles around the lake, I mean, halfway around the lake. And what you see is, is again, intentional, planned, organized, beautiful um, and accessible. So you are not separate from it. They, it. It's all been created so that you can be in relationship to what is being created here. But it meant they had to move 10,000 rich farmers off the water. Um, so when I talk to people locally, it's a city of about 500,000 people. They said, well, everyone's happy, but the 10,000 rich farmers who are still screaming and yelling. Um, but the rest of the people are happy. And the commitment to the plan was, both to clean up the waters, to make it, you know, to create um, a capacity for everyone to earn money and to raise the, the level of, of income for everyone. And this is a community of nine different Chinese indigenous groups, uh, ethnic groups. And so it was also taking into 
account each of their needs so that it would be created around their needs and not have them feel alienated to this place that has been theirs. So all the architecture that has been rebuilt has been rebuilt with a commitment to the by people. So everything is white and blue. Every everything that has been recreated is recreated in the in the colors of the by community. And it's beautiful. Uh, I flying over, I felt like I was going to land in Greece because it was just all white. And then there's this beautiful blue um, designs that go around. So um, the by women that I was able to speak to, their um, standard of living has risen six times in the last 10, 12 years. So in 1970, when I like came of age, some workers in the US are still making at the same level of 1970. So imagine what your state of being would be if in the last 10 years, your standard of living had increased six times, but not over others, but in relationship to others. So it's like the boats all rose together. Um, and um, for, two days I was walking around in the old city where you just have uh, an, an enthusiasm, which is hard to describe, of joy and celebration. And uh, there, you know, wares to be had from across, you know, from vegetables to fruits, to roses, to needlework, to tea. I mean, this is also the tea region um, where the where tea comes from. Um, so about the second day, I, I realized I was having an, an emotional experience that I didn't, couldn't quite name. And when the words, when somebody asked me like, what, but like, what would it be? I said, I feel liberated. And in that sense of, you know, when someone's free, everyone's free, but I had, I was experiencing some sense of liberation, but it was a couple days later where I called it, I felt like it was having, for the first time in my life, in a place like this, and, and a relationship that wasn't codependent. And as I tried to dive into what had created that, it goes back to this co-creation of beauty. So, Beijing had delivered a ton of money to make the transformation, but the people had made the transformation. So Beijing didn't own the transformation, the people own the transformation. It had been a partnership and a relationship that included all the voices as it was happening and co-created. So there was this, it's like to go down a street and not feel like anyone needed anything from me. But because what I realized was, is I wasn't where they got their sustenance. They created their sustenance with this support that having the experience helped me go into the why and learn what that was. And so they had been living in abject poverty and toxic waste dump, and they had, they felt that sense of accomplishment. It was theirs. So even when you're walking down the street, there's a sense of joy and pride and relationship and 
it's not it wasn't coming from somewhere else even though um the, you know beijing had made a huge commitment of money you know you need the infrastructure you need the infrastructure capital support to make it happen but it wasn't beijing's it was theirs and i i have to say it was a very um moving experience to have um and it's and it also took me into the complexity of how things happen there they happen locally which then sent me back to shanghai to try to understand how things happen now a lot of you i know have seen the take them out of poverty you know trying to take in everyone out of poverty film so you you've seen that ground up decision making under the the structures of the five things that have to change but um i think being inside of it um made me think about it in different ways so first of all um Beijing is a long way away from uh, Davi, and they don't actually, that's not their relationship. That's like a long way away. And, and our idea that China is authoritarian is, I mean, one of the things is like, I've been with, I know what it's like to be with people who are oppressed. That was, I think, my first thing walking down the streets is like, there's no oppression happening here. Um, and so trying to understand authoritarianism in relationship to this. Um, so the, the governing structure of China is such that, I mean, I understand, you know, after learning it, realizing like she has way less power than Biden. I mean, like there's like what the, what he does, what the prime minister does, the connection, you know, what a party is and what the government is are very separate things. And in the community, those are experienced separately. Um, but what a person does have both, you know, in Bali and in Shanghai or in Beijing is that, that finally I get to see everywhere you go, there's a phone number. If something's not working for you, you pick up the phone and you make a phone call and you say, this is broken, this needs fixed, you know, this isn't working, or I saw something. And there is someone that responds. And that is where the power is. It's locally in the relationships between those who need and those who can help. And if we, you know, we teach this at the local peace economy, it's like where most stuff happens that affects us is locally. And that's where the the a citizen of a country experiences um what irritates them <laughs> what they need to change so um i think about that um in relationship to the us foreign policy that um we have um a foreign policy that is alien to most people's life experience and not relational, I would say, not understandable and not relational, but it's affecting the planet that we live on. It's affecting peoples around the world. And it's kind of, I think it's, they get away with murder because where we have relationship is where we know things and where we make decisions and where our aggravations are. 
So it was interesting to be in all these places and talk to people about, well, what happens around this? I, um, I um, met with a professor um, to talk about women's issues that, you know, there's concerns of women and it's like, well, but the concerns are the same concerns in every country around the globe. How, how is it addressed here? And one of the concerns that she said had arisen, um, you know, like 15 years ago had been a spousal abuse, which happens in poverty around the world. And the, one of the um, desires to raise everyone out of poverty, one of the driving forces around that was the need for women. And that a lot of the driving forces around decisions that have been made since in the last 10, 12 years have been related to women. And what had to happen, not as a Band-Aid, but as a change in structure that could then therefore affect what was how women could be served in this problem. And that was super refreshing. Um, both on the poverty level, you know, it's like on the poverty level, and then on um, the commitment to women going to university and how that is um, uplifted, and also um, the commitment to um, uh, the ethnic minorities, making sure that they get into university, and um, the same local thing about being able to pick up the phone and um and you know what Sheila I'm not going to take that on I call it a weed and I have lots to say but I don't it's not mine to take on um and so I'm gonna I'm not gonna go there uh I much as everything in me would like to um I'm gonna tell you my experience of China um, and just say that there's no greater human rights disaster than war. Um, so uh, let me see. I I um, I want to leave room for time for questions. So I just want to say, like interviewing this professor uh, around women's issues. What was interesting was the conversation around feminism, and it was. Uh, if we want to see <laughs> what happens when U.S. Uh, white imperialist feminism makes it to China, it's pretty messy and ugly. And so trying to unpack what they got as feminism to what I understood as feminism was a fun conversation. But I, it, what it did remind me of is like, China as a society is in a curious, growing, understanding, uh, creative space. And that's part of the culture that what I learned is like, there's a, pro, you know, this isn't working, this broke, this broke, that, that watching decision-making over the years, it's failure, 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 failure. And it's not only internal failures, it's we're trying to create something that's never existed before. How do we do that? Decisions are made, they fail, but the learning process around it, and it's not just internal failures, it's external failures. Like how did this fail out here? How do we how did this fail here? How does this fail? And how are we making new decisions on an experiment given those failures? How do we try something else? And maybe it will fail. And one of the things in learning that whole process um, from these professors I was talking to was to deeply understand the resilience of their commitment 
to socialism, the, the potency of that, the power of that, their commitment to their roots as um, a Chinese culture that they think is beautiful, their commitment to being able to make, at all levels, being able to make mistakes, but like address them, talk about them, find new solutions. I mean, one of the things they do is like, okay, there's a mistake and how do you address it? So five cities were locked down under COVID. So I just wanna to say to everyone, five cities were locked down under COVID. China is a country of a billion, 500,000 people. Those five cities maybe had a hundred million people in it. So when we say China locked down, um, let's just be careful like what that looks like. And, and it was like five different cities the heads of those cities were trying to figure out what could this look like? And they they did it at different extremes and it, it was also enforced locally. It's not top down, it's from the bottom up. And um, I would, you know, the um, mayor of Shanghai took one for the team to like really fail. Um, and he's now the prime minister of the country. So it's like, are you taking one for the team to do an experiments that might fail, but like teach everyone else? So if they're trying to figure something out, they do try it out in many different places to see what succeeds and then move in that direction. The refreshing thing is that actually shit changes. Um, you know, that that everybody, you know, like we can't have this air quality. Okay, we're gonna fix it. You know, we can't do this. Okay, we're gonna fix it. We can't live in this community because it, we're dying. Um, okay, investment to fix it. And um, it, it's also interesting, you go to these places and it's like, well, Beijing invested in so that people are clear that it's like that Beijing makes a commitment to them, but it's them that needs to make it happen. It doesn't top down on how, it's bottom up on how and and I mean, and that bottom up is freaking messy. And I got to hear lots of stories about how messy it is. And um you know how lead, you know how leadership has to happen and where it happens and uh who makes decisions it's 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 local democracy it's really direct intimate relational democracy on the ground and it's messy um so uh i think the other thing that is you know i learned that i could learn and feel was the commitment to stability and what that feels like and then talking to a bunch of women and i did a, a ton of interviews and made friends with this awesome group that does media, not state media. They, they have a, they, she's the most shared on TikTok, um, 8 million shares on lectures she does with professors to that teach around history of China and things like that. And um, Professor Weiwei, Wang Weiwei. And um, um, it's, um, it's, there's, um, it's just, I don't know, it's everyone's growing and learning and exploring and hopeful and creative. And I mean, I guess the sense of hope. And also then what I ask about, are you afraid of what the US is, is um, you know, planning a war on China? And to most of them, that's unthinkable. That's just like, that's not a concept that they can have. And I, I, in this, with this women's group that I was talking to, I was like, you don't understand what it's like to live in the United States, that there's a sense of trauma just living in the United States, um, that, that there's 
trauma and PTSD that's just under under running. And um, they they it's like to witness that space that we know it's a space that happens. It's like in the Code Pink, like creating home sweet home and the local peace economy. We want to create that so that we do have the capacity to live and be free and be creative. And, and they have that. And I don't, it's so interesting because it's like when you have something, you don't know you have it. So to be able to witness that back for them was, was an interesting moment of, do you know what it's like to just be in the choice and the creativity and the inventiveness of their lives? Um, I don't, I, I don't think they understand. And, and the professor was saying, she said, we're the last to understand where we are because we're so busy building the country that, you know, when, when people say, oh, look how big China is, we, we're not, that's, we're still building. We're still in the building. So there's also, how does it look from the outside? How does it look from the inside? How does it look like when you're somebody who's helping make it happen, who's been through the sturm and drum of, failures and duplicities and corruption and all that has happened in a very short period of time, your lifetime. Um, I met a woman who knew her grandmother um, and she saw her bound, her grandmother's bound feet. So like in your lifetime to go from bound feet to who she was, which was the head of a department of a university. Um, so really to kind of rock that also. Um, there's so much to say, but I, I I feel like I should let some questions happen. Sorry. Okay, thank you, Jody. <laughs> Do you have a question, Anne? Well, I just will comment on my trips to China. I found many of the same things, although I, I didn't go to the same places that, that you went, but uh, certainly going to Nanjing and and all of the massacre of what happened during, uh, uh, you know, the 1930s and 40s with the Japanese uh, uh, brutalizing the Chinese people. It's really important for people to know. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and understand, like when you want to understand a personality of a country and, you know, instead of projecting yourself on it, um, being able to listen and, and know. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, I'm not seeing any more questions. If not, I can. Um, Jody, yes, I, I wanted to ask you about the youth unemployment situation. They yeah. make a big deal out of it, and then I looked at the records. I mean, um, Taiwan has very high youth unemployment. Um, so so is the rest of Asia, and it's actually Spain, Portugal is much worse. Uh, Portugal is 28%, and, but they make a big deal out of it. I was just wondering, you know, how China is, is handling it because China is, you know, it, it, uh, like you said, they, they serve the people, you know. Uh, they, they believe that, that, that their success, you know, the, um, the Chinese, uh, 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 the Communist Party leadership believes their success is based on their adequate service of the people. So I was wondering how they're dealing with that. So yeah, I did talk to someone about that and they're working on building new capacities. So one of the ways they're working on it is 
which is an interesting thing because I just went to an eco conference, which was the opposite, and I was worried about it, is that they're building infrastructure in rural areas um, where where they're seeing there's a problem. The separation of the rural and the city hasn't been that. They look for things that are healthy long term, like they're building for the long term, right? And so they're going to start building more infrastructures in the rural, and that's going to be able to suck up the youth unemployment. And they're on a process for developing that. And I think a little bit, um, she likes that because it was so informative and his youth. Um, you know, one of the things I want to say is that all the, you know, I, I really like to understand the government as these two separate threads, the government and it, all its ministries that are responsible to deliver to the people. And then the party and what that responsibility is and what it delivers. And also that, um, um, I mean, I was a little jealous in learning like, Chi's job is ideology. It's just vision. It's like, he doesn't implement anything. And it's, it's really to be thinking and visioning and coming up with like, what are the problems? How do we solve them? And long-term, like, you know, it's like that youth employment problem is not, don't, don't put a bandaid on it. What are the long-term problems that then the youth employment can serve? Like taking a more holistic view of it. And so um, you have that. And then you have the ministry, which is the theory. Okay, so we have the vision. How do we turn it into theory? And then you move down to the municipal level, which is working with the directors for the strategy of like, what's the strategy for getting the vision implemented? Then you go down another level, which is a lot of people, and that's the logistics and the plans. And then you have the very bottom, which is the functional and relational. I mean, <laughs> not anything like what we have in the United States. No plans, no vision, no commitment, no long-term strategy, no addressing the problem with fit with your thinking. I mean, I think being in Bali, being inside a plan that that was holistic about the people, the planet, the, um, the, 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 the community, the different communities that you had to serve, that they all had to work in conjunction with each other, not, you know, managing complexities. I'll need the rest of too. <laughs> Sorry, um, if we could just mute. Um, so anyway, the managing of complexities, uh, uh, I think is is really important. And so, yeah, that's not being done with a Band-Aid. It's being looked at. And I think they're seeing that the problem with the everybody moving to the cities and they need to move them move a little bit back and the richness of having smaller places. So, uh, Dawn. I, I want to ask, well, uh... Is there homelessness? Uh, there's no, have you seen any homelessness and poverty at all? No. How, how's that even possible? And the second question, are the young people stressed from school? I know that um, like in South Korea and Japan, the, the, the students are all terribly stressed from the com competition of, of you know, com competitiveness of school. What did you see in, in China? Okay, so I did ask about the unhoused. I said why I've been like, and especially because both major cities I went like everywhere I could. So yes, there occasionally is someone that falls out of the fabric of society, but they are immediately found, brought in and taken to what's needed, whether it's mental health support, whether it's job training, you know, whatever 
if they fall through the fabric of society, they're supported. So it's not like they're on the street. The longest somebody says somebody's probably on the street is 24 hours because you have that thing, you pick up a phone, somebody's suffering. You know, one time in New York City, I picked up my phone, I called the police and I was like, somebody's dying. And they said, oh no, it's just a homeless person drunk. And I was just like, well, I'll take them to help them. You know, it's like, they were like, nah. Um, so here it's just like, you call somebody, they, they're pulled into the fab, they're pulled back into the fabric of society. So it's not that people don't fall out of the fabric of society or, you know, go on a drunken binge or, you know, what, whatever, but, uh, there's, there's a phone number and there's the community that comes in to support. Um, what was your other question? Sorry. It's about students, the stress on students. Oh, so I don't know if you know, but she did this thing, I think it's a year and a half ago. He was like, we can't do this to our children. He said, you are a child. They have to have a childhood. You must give these children a childhood. And so there was this whole thing that was happening where um, the rich could afford to pay for tutors and they were paying. So he made it illegal to tutor anyone. So there can't be after school tutoring. Because he said, that is not what we're here for. We're here to be alive. We're here to live. This is life. And you cannot do this to your children. So um, uh, tutoring has become illegal. Their schools, the education system works. And you can't be telling your kid to get above another kid. You know, like that's just not the way to be. So uh, that happened, I think, a year and a half or more ago. Linda. Hi, Jody. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Oh, great. My um, computer breaks down a lot. I, I put my question in the chat if we can find it and read it, and then I'll just, yeah, I don't want to disrupt this, uh, this webinar, but thank you so much. This is amazing. Yeah, mostly I have a question about um, recommendation for materials to learn more about how the Chinese system works. Cause, yeah, I was just blown away by some of your comments that just totally upend everything that we're taught. Yeah. So um, Mika, who's my co-writer on, on the China's Not Our Enemy book, has done a video on how the system works. And um, as a response to those who were here, I'll um, ask Wei to send it around to everyone. Um, and I was thinking of, of doing one myself. Um, also, just because hers is, you know, it's kind of high level, but I mean, just from the places that I find interesting, um, because both from being inside of it and then witnessing how that works, and um, and and going to um, you know the the way the party works where it's it's from the it's from the bottom up like where you are local and three people get together and you create a little hub and it gets to 150 and then you, you know you become another hub and who and somebody serves 150 of you and then and then oh and I I mean like do you know there were elections and 800 million people voted in the elections in China that 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 it's no different than the United States. There are elections that then put you, it's elections to selection, but that's the same way we select our president is elections to selection. So, I mean, like, I didn't know that. I was like blown away, like, what? Um, so, and, and also I just think the fragility, I don't think people understand the fragility of the political system is the same as our own fragility, that there's a bunch of liberals there's a bunch of, you know, people that like get enough money and they become liberals and don't care about other people anymore, just like the United States. There's um, infiltration of the United States into the universities on steroids. 
Um, there's uh, infiltration into the foreign policy system by the United States on steroids. It's like the idea that it's the authoritarian system that controls everything is like so crazy. What a crazy notion um, that we've been sold. But it's it's a much more alive, vibrant. I would say it's got space for fragility. I mean, clearly why some of the things are the way they are, some of the structures are the way they are, is to not let that fragility take over, you know, like not not move things into a situation where they become where the stability ends. So you can see that struggle between the fragility, the openness and the and how you keep stability. And it's like uh, it's a dance um, that they're always dancing, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, also just like to witness a color revolution moment. Um, one of the gals in my husband's office told me that she, her apartment was right outside where there was that ruckus around the, sh the, the shutdown in Shanghai. And she said it was 200 people outside. Then a bunch of other people came in, um, and it was really shut down by the neighbors who shamed the protesters. Um, and that it, it wasn't actually closed down by the government. It was closed down by the community of which she was one that said, you selfish, you know, breaths, go home, was the message. So that wasn't in the, I said, well, that was in the US media. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so naive of us to think that a country of 1.5 billion people could have enough cops to have an authoritarian government on a, on a, in a country that is so far out, that is so hard for people to get to, that there's, you know, that they just don't, it's just impossible. It's, it's like an, an unconceived notion in the same way people in China said, really that the United States thinks China's gonna bomb itself, you know, that, they, that the United States has been sold the story that it's gonna bomb itself. There would be an uprising in China if China bombed itself. So um, it's it's the the naivete of the stories we're told that we are willing to swallow um, is, is interesting. Bob. I'm curious, did you talk with anybody about the stories we were always hearing here in the media about the drastic lockdowns during COVID? Yeah, I think, I don't know if you missed that part. Um, I, I guess I did, I thought. Um, okay. so. Um, the lockdown happened in five cities, and um, this is the way they do um, uh, experiments is they pick five cities and five mayors who are really like top, you know, they because the people who get to the place to be mayors of, of the five major cities are pretty seasoned, you know, tempered. Um, think about leadership that has to learn how to be leadership. I think of Ursula Le Guin and, you know, how you become uh, the ma magician. You've got to understand power and have a relationship with power. And I also just think on power, every, the leaders in China are reluctant leaders. You know, it's like it's a service, not a desire for power over. It's it's a it's a service for and 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 like. Um, Julie said, it's like their, their job is to serve the people and you have to have been toned to get there. So it was five cities. They did it in five very different ways. Shanghai was the most severe. And um, and yeah, I, I know the whole team that lived through it. I mean, I talked to the whole team that lived through it um, as it was happening. And so 
Yes, it happened too fast. And for seven days, as they figured out how to make it work, some people were, um, it was really uncomfortable for those seven days were people that didn't have three days of food. Um, and you have Chinese going, what are you doing with not three days of noodles? You know, like so <laughs> there was, there was that. And then um, afterwards, like a lot of the women that I talked to, mostly women about this, um, they said what was beautiful for the first month and a half was the community building. And like a lot of the things that happened out of COVID have continued. Like they now um, buy all their groceries wholesale and they get them all, all delivered together and then they pull the wholesale groceries out was nothing something they'd never done before and that that's continued that um you know it was uncomfortable for people who are middle class liberals who who are individualist it was un uncomfortable more for them than it was for people who are committed to the the you know if you're committed to a set of values you're like okay here i am i'm committed to these values and it's uncomfortable for a while they're used yeah. to being way more uncomfortable than a, a, a covid lockdown <laughs> So it depended on the spectrum. We got the stories we got were the spectrums of the individualist uh, middle class um, that we can identify with, but that's not what China's fully made up of. Um, mm -hmm. And so we missed the stories from the people who are, wow, this is interesting and fun. And how do I make this work? Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm referring to stories in the media here that were, were much more drastic sounding than that like people locked in their homes for 30 to 60 days, stories like that. And I was a little skeptical as to whether that was really true, but. Uh, you know what, I'm sure, like these are, by the way, it's all bottom up, right? So every, like every single one of them told me a different story from the day, neighborhood they lived in. And my husband lives in three different cities and he had a different experience, all three of them. So the, your community decides what that looks like. I'm sure if you're a brat, you're locked in your apartment. I'm sure that's true. Um, you know, like you're not taking it seriously. We don't trust you. Yeah. Um, and and you're not locked in by the cops. You're locked in by your neighbors. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm sure it looked different everywhere. It's, it just, I mean, just, just the 40 people I know, every single person had a different story. So I think what happens for us is the U.S. finds the darkest story they can tell, and we get told that story. We don't get told the beautiful human stories that that that's the opposite. So what China is steeped in are the beautiful human stories of, you know, care and support. And like, so we get one story and they get another story. I'm sure in between there's another thousand stories. But um, what they're living on are stories of resiliency and support and care. Got it, thanks. Uh, there's an iPhone with a hand up and I don't know your name, sorry. Hi, it's me, Medea. Hi, Medea. <laughs> hey, um, I had a question about the, you know, what we hear about the surveillance state, uh, how much of that uh, seemed true when you were there, this the whole thing of facial recognition and do you get points for being a good person and a bad person and that kind of thing. And um, I don't know if uh, that's the thing, but is there one thing you could say that you don't like about China? <laughs> Thanks. So I did actually try to pay attention to that because somebody had said they'd been there and don't you, if you've been there, you, you don't, doesn't the surveillance bother you? I didn't feel surveillance. I mean, 
I did start to do some research. Um, London has more surveillance cameras than any city in China. So um, I also talked to people around COVID. They're not tracking everybody because they couldn't figure out who was where and you could get anywhere and not be in the thing. And they didn't know whether you had tested or not tested. So if they're surveilling everybody and it was COVID, it was failing. Um, so I think, you know, Ed Snowden kind of let us know we're all under surveillance. Um, the U.S., everybody, like uh, social media has us all under surveillance. Did I feel it? I did not feel it. Um, it was not obvious to me. I did not feel surveilled. Um, you know, I, I don't, I think, um, certainly they must know what they care about. Uh, I, uh, wanted to tell a story about my son's friend. So my son's friend's there, he's gay. And somebody, um, went to the cops and said that he'd, um, raped him. And so the cops came over, took him in and questioned him and, um, you know, he said where he was and that wasn't possible and just, you know, was super sorry, but that it hadn't happened. And the cops believed him and said that, you know, the other guy's story didn't sound feasible and he was let go. Um, so I do want to talk about the cops a bit. Um, they don't have guns. They've been trained in the opposite way of the cops in the U.S. So it's a very surreal experience. They're uh, supportive. Um, they're also like so tiny. I mean, just I sometimes some of them are so thin. I think they're you know I could break them. Um, they're uh, they're always it's like how can I help you or and or just non intrusive just standing there. We live across from a police station, so I'm I'm kind of just seeing them hanging around. But you don't actually see that many cops now. I didn't see any PLA, and I'm sure that's the cop of China, but I have not in all my time seen one. Um, and I'm sure they're armed and um, have a different demeanor. But it's interesting to be with someone whose job is to serve the community and the different physical presence and mindset and relationship um, to the community. And everybody loves, um, there was this one guy uh, in Dali, um, he said, I want my, I want my daughter to be a cop because they they're the ones that serve the community so beautifully. Um, but no, didn't didn't feel surveilled on. And I'm an activist, so they're not gonna like me. I mean, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I don't think the Chinese government is thrilled with probably activists because that's they're trying to have stability and I create instability. Um, <laughs> but um did I answer all your questions, Medea? Oh, no, I didn't have any big signs. I, I asked if there was something negative you could tell us about China. Uh, I don't, I can't. Um, I can't for the life of me think of anything right now. Um, I have one. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> they, they, so, keep so. Picking, they keep picking on the United States, those Chinese do, and going after our military out there in the Taiwan Straits, for God's sakes. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I know one. Um, everything happens on WeChat. And um, 
so my my biggest frustration was I was there for you know a very long time and I couldn't ever get my WeChat the money to go into my WeChat. So everybody just pays with WeChat. So uh, and they don't take American credit cards. So I was very limited in what I could spend um, and too lazy to go to a bank to change my money. So that was my frustration. Um, they 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 do use cash. I, I did actually change a little bit of money, but um, it's not. It's not not a big thing cash. It's it's a very rarely used and um, American credit cards. It's it's at American chain hotels. Um, so um, and hotels don't change. I mean, the only place you can change money is banks and it takes a bit of time. So that was my frustration. And I do not speak Chinese. Um, they um, no, uh, I think more. there's more English speakers in China than any other country in the world. I don't know. That was a rumor I heard. But um, the, the thing is, is that everyone's very adept at these um, things they have on their phones. So if someone doesn't understand you, they just speak into the phone, tell you what it is, and then you speak and say the answer. There's the, the translation relationship is baked into their, I mean, first of all, I just want to say the baked into the culture stuff is, is really interesting. <laughs> Things happen really fast and efficiently and they're baked into everyone's, I mean, things go fast and easy and short cutty. And uh, I mean, just like in the building we live in, like the people that come to deliver the food, they like hang it on the, the, the post in the elevator and people just come out whenever they want and get their thing off the elevator post. Um, uh, you know, the, we, you know, the WeChat thing, it's just like, it's for everything and the conversations and TikTok and, um, uh, oh, and the conversations on TikTok. If you want to think of the, the amazing, uh, conversations that happen around issues, it's, it's vibrant and huge and rich and, uh, you're inside of some, I tried to get inside of some of the conversations so I could understand what people were talking about, but oh, you, you, that's a lot. Um, and uh, I only had interpreters when I was um, doing interviews with the professors because I wanted them to speak in their original language. Um, and I hopefully I will be able to get those videos and we'll put them up on, on YouTube soon. So I think we're over time. Thanks so much for joining me and caring about China. China is not our enemy, is not your enemy. Um, I just wanna encourage everyone to go because we need more people to come back and share their experience. My experience is mine. And you know, it's a super tiny sliver of what experiences there could be like. So please, I'm hopefully planning a, a Code Pink trip for October, um, stay tuned, <laughs> October, end of October, um, the team there is, we're trying to figure out like, you know, it's, if you came for two weeks, where, where would you go to get the biggest breadth of experience? There's so much to see and experience and it's vast and different and beautiful. So thanks for joining. Thanks for being peacemakers and peace lovers. Thanks, Wei, for your support. All right. Bye. Thank you so much, Jody. Have a good day, Thanks, everyone. Jody, that was great. See you later. Thank you so much. Super, Jody. <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Thank you. Uh, Thank Jody, you, can Jody. I ask real quick? Um, you, you know, if you, if you, if you said, uh, you know, people should come back and share their stories. I, I'm going for a month, like or 26 days to be exact. Like, you know, do, if, if there's some ways that that can be of uh, utility on the sharing stories front, I'm happy to uh, happy to chat beforehand about what I might be able, how I might be able to structure this trip in such a way to help facilitate. That. Obviously, there's certain things I have to do with regarding family stuff, but otherwise, I'm, I have a relatively open schedule as well. Um, so, so I, Lynn, I, I would say um, I went with an open mind. I went with like I just want to have a personal experience that mm -hmm. then helps me go into the rabbit hole of what questions I should be asking instead of like coming from like, what do I think? And what do I, you know, what do I want to, I just went with, oh, why did that happen? And what's that? And why do I feel this? So I think more of us that come back as our own personalities, sharing how we experienced things and then what it taught us, because then letting that feeling, it's every time I was just like, okay, so why is that that way? And, and then I, it would send me off on an exploration of what I needed to learn so I could understand that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's because we're so indoctrinated with bullshit and um, notions that are false and, and destructive and, and actually, you know, like militarized. Um, you know, it's like talking about human rights abuses, war is a human rights abuse on steroids. So let's just like all in that, uh, you know, stop the war. But I think it's like no one has a relationship to China. So if you came back with what your relationship to China was and what it taught you, um, for me, it was profound. I mean, to have that experience where I could finally unpack what I was feeling as a sense of having no codependency, which then led me back to understanding, like, why did I have that experience? So I could go back and go, oh, wow nobody here gives a, sh a shit whether I buy from them or not. They're, I am not their sustenance. Their sustenance is their government and their community. And, and essentially, isn't that what all governments are supposed to be? But we in the West don't have that experience. We have an experience of fighting with. And one of the things I didn't say that I, I'm sorry I didn't, because it, it was also something that I really got talking to the women, was that if I look out and, you know, like I'm, I just finished a board meeting and, and I, I was suffering through it because the, the movements, the staff, election cycle, the staffing, everything that goes around pretending we can change a structure that is violent, that doesn't really care what we think, like that our lives are dedicated to that, to be in a place where no one's life is dedicated to changing. It's dedicating to living out of their, I mean, like, I know that my life like got uprooted and I became a peace activist and that's what I dedicated my life to. People in China's lives are dedicated to fruition, to fruiting, to creating, to living. I mean, it made, I cried one night. I was just like, imagine if all that energy that is being churned and chewed because it's not changing anything. I've been doing this for 50 years 
and it's getting worse. So it's like lives that are chewed up by this militarized machine that is violent and destructive and oppressive in trying to change it, that it just really doesn't care what we think. And it, you know, will continue to destroy and oppress it. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, so I don't know that, like what that was like, that's what, but what was hopeful about it was like, that's a billion and a half people living out of creating, living out of relating, living out of a beautiful commitment that's actually for real. It's, right, right. I mean, it's not a lie that you then have to, you know, have blinders. You have to narrow your focus and lie to yourself so you can live and tell yourself stories. And I mean, like all trying to unpack that in my psyche was intense. So you'll have an experience like that, I'm sure, because when you're in, it's like being in a healthy organism when you've been coming from an, a, a dysfunctional organism. It, as it, they start to talk to each other. You learn things. And I think you'll learn things as a, a young man that you'll share different than me as an old woman. Sure, sure. Well, you know, you know, J Jody, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, you know and we'd that. love to have you on and have a online report back as soon as you're back. If that's helpful, definitely happy to do that. Oh, um, that would be awesome. But, that's um, what we need. We just need to make it relational. Sure, I think sure. everybody gets lost in the weeds that the State Department throws at us to distract us. And really what this is about is relationality and people. It's like a war on China. No, it's a war on the people of China and they are beautiful. And that is a sin. That is a crime against humanity. And by the way, I'm going to Washington um, next week for three days. Anybody want to join me in going at all those members on that horrible China competition committee and tell them they are a crime against humanity is my goal. I am in DC from the 16th to the, I think, early 18th. Um, I kind of doubt that interact that intersection. It does, it does, I think. Oh, it does? Doesn't it? Or do I leave on the 15th? I, I'm on 16th, I'm there the 16th and 17th. Um, but that's Friday, Saturday. Oh, damn, I leave yeah. on the 15th. Yeah. Damn, you can't come a little early? Uh, 